two Muppet episodes in the same year? I'm not sure how I feel about that. At least this time it's festive on this Christmas episode of that song from that movie. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Yuletide Journey for the Very Best and Worst of Christmas Movie Songs. I am your, reusing his notes from the Kate Winslet Christmas Carol episode we did, host (laughs) Dietrich. And we're joined by the man who has hopefully done notes on the Muppets version of this film, Alex. I mean, I also did the notes on the the, uh, Kate Winslet one, didn't I? Did you? Yes, I think I did, yeah. So, very well versed in the movie adaptations of Christmas Carol. And also joining us is the man who we, we never know if he's completed his notes, Ben. Um, one sec. So much shade. One sec. Document seven. Here we go. Here we go. Document seven. <laughs> document seven. <laughs> Sounds spicy. <laughs> I should save my documents. The other six are also notes. I would like to know in the past fortnight, what have you been watching? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> ah, nice. Nice. It's Christmas. It's Christmassy. Can't believe we're already out of the World Cup. I know, can you believe that England, the World Cup? <laughs> nice. <laughs> last. <laughs> Came last in the... Uh, what have you guys been watching in mid-December, which it definitely is? Um, I have been watching, uh, obviously, all of the Christmas TV uh, and adverts, as well as... Of course, as, um, of course. Of course, but like I said, it has been December. Uh, lots of Wallace and Gromit, obviously. Um, but I have been watching the TV show The White Lotus, season two. Do you guys watch mm, the show? No, it's not ringing a bell. No, I have heard people talk about it, but I've never watched it's, it. It's good. It's pretty good. All I know about the show is, didn't people, including the, the creator themselves, not like the ending of the show or something? Well, of season one? I presume. This season one had a very, very interesting dark ending. Um, it's, I think it's definitely the first time I've seen what happened at the end of season one happen in any TV show or film. I think. I think. I think there was there was there was discussions as to whether it was real or not, or whether it was staged. I don't want to go into any more detail. Oh wow! Okay. But you'll have to watch it because it's like it's... you've definitely dangled the carrot very well. <laughs> that's there. how you sit. That's the uh, Alec. It's been about two years doing this, and that's the first time you've made me want to watch something you've watched. <laughs> I think. I think there's um. There's not that many episodes either, so you could actually get through it quite quickly. I think it's good, but... Oh, yeah. you've lost me. You've lost me now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Use too many words. But anyway, yeah, the term dangling that he used there is, a, is an interesting one, because it ties quite nicely to, the, to what happens. <laughs> so... Oh, now he's pulling me back in. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps pulling me back in. Um, I saw the film The Barbarian at the cinema. Have you heard of it? Mm, sounds nope. familiar. It was. It's a horror film that had... I saw it had really good reviews, and then I saw Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. It said, "Go in not knowing anything." Yes, so I quickly closed this. everything, and I can see why. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was really good, really fun. Is it the, the guy who plays it, the clown? Is it Skarsgård? Yes, yes, Bill Skarsgård. Is it Bill Skarsgård? One of the Skarsgårds, not Alex Skarsgårds. It's a Skarsgård. It's not Stellan. It's not Stellan. <laughs> I just can't. I've, it's awful to. I've seen too many films with Stellan Skarsgård in where he's naked. He likes it. In it likes to get naked <laughs> in a lot of films, and it's not the Marvel ones. But for some reason, I can still see him in the Marvel ones. Well, one of the Skarsgårds have been naked in the Marvel films. Have they? Was it Stellan? What's the old one? Stellan! Yeah, he was naked in the second four God, film. the man loves to be naked. <laughs> well, yeah, but was he full frontal? It was blurred out. Good. I unfortunately have seen it non-blurred out. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dean? As is usually the case, I'm going to talk about a franchise. So I've oh, been yes. to see Black, Black Panda Wakanda Black Panda? Forever. Black Panda! <laughs> Black, Black Panda Wakanda Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I saw it last night. That's weird because it's no longer at the uh, cinema. I will see. <laughs> <laughs> I will see this film at some point once it's on Disney Plus. No, I do want. I've recently got my Limitless card again, so I will see it at the cinema. All right, okay. So give me, give me in five less than five words. Disjointed uh, tribute to Chadwick Boseman. There you go. Okay. Oh, that actually was a really good five-word review. Okay, that's why. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I don't like that Rihanna song. No, I don't like it either. And we'll talk about that when we do the episode in five years' time. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell 
what parts of the film were in the original script and what parts of the film were uh, changed. Like Dark Knight Rises. Uh, well, yeah, but instead of it being a side character, it's your main character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fair. So for our 2022 Christmas special, if you haven't already guessed, we are stepping back in time to Victorian England when most people were made out of felt, but the one spongy fleshed person didn't like Christmas. <laughs> it's it's the song from Muppet's Christmas Carol. <laughs> if you didn't get that. To find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Time for some history. It's me. (gasps) It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah, it's like I come come around every Christmas just like Santa. Once a year. (laughs) So we go back to December, obviously. 1992. This is mine and Ben's first Christmas. Dean, of course. It was your second Christmas because you're an old timer. Um, Wait, what? It would be it would be a second. You've absolutely sold me out there. <laughs> oh no, wait, no, I'm wrong here. Anyway, I'm completely wrong here. I messed that entire thing up because it would be our second Christmas. It would be your third Christmas thing. Oh, it's even worse. Yeah, it's even worse. Right, old timer. So, what do you guys think was a Christmas number one that in 1992? Oh, I know what it was in my year, but uh, Saviour's Day. Yeah. Cliff Richard. No, Cliff, Cliff's a good guess, but no. Shaking Stevens. No, it is actually a song from a film. It's not a Christmas song, but the film is vaguely wintry. Um, vaguely wintry. Last Christmas. No. <laughs> we all know that that famously did not get to number one. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. And the film famously came out 28 years later. Yeah. Um, no. Stars Kevin Costner. Oh, oh I every, Everything I do. No, it's... Oh, it's um, the, the, the... <laughs> Oh, but also starts going Gosner. And the Bodyguard song. Yeah, it's Bodyguard. It's I Will Always Love You by Winnie Houston, yeah. So we're not having a top five later because this is potentially going to be a very long episode. So get this in right now. But we could have a top five now. We've done this before, Let's do it. I think. Let's do it. But we're doing it again. Best selling toys of 1992. Ooh, gosh. 92. I guess we weren't really getting them yet. No, but I feel like we probably mm. had some of these in our life. God. The first, num- Number one is quite general. It's not specific. But it's like it's... a yo-yo. <laughs> Bike. No, no. but fi- I would say that number five is equivalent <laughs> to a yo-yo in that it was kind of like a trend at school. And like uh, now looking back, you're not really sure why it was a thing. But then I think they did come back like relatively Pogs? recently. No. Tazos? L- lame, lamer than those. Lamer than Tazos. Yeah. I think you often got them with like when the people came in to do like uh, road safety and stuff like that. Oh. A spinning safety. top? <laughs> <laughs> Slap. Bracelet. Sla- oh, oh, right. God, yeah, do you remember those? Yeah. Uh, that was number five. Number three, I know I definitely had one of these, um, but I don't know if you guys did. Well, I'm assuming this is British toys. It is UK toys, these, yeah. Top five UK toys. I'm just going to say Tracy Island from Thunderbirds. Yep, number yeah, number two. It's always in there. Number two. Um, Something to do with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Nervous. Power Rangers? When did, when did all these things come no, out? No, no, no. What, what else was very big in the 90s? D, you're still very into it now, but it was huge in the 90s. Wrestling. Yeah. Number one, WWF action figures. Which, which one? Which one in particular? Would it <laughs> it's just not, it's not specific. It's just general. It just says WWF action figures. Would it have been, would it have been The Undertaker in 92? Uh, well, he would have been there. Yeah. Well, he would have existed. Hulk Hogan, maybe. I don't know. Shawn yeah. Michaels. Yep. <laughs> yep. So number three is a, is a is a gaming console. The SNES. SNES, yeah. And one one better, one above. The SNES. The SNES. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Super Nintendo. And then number four, I don't think you'll get because I don't know what it is, but it's something called the Littlest Pet Shop. I'm gonna just have to look, Google this. The Littlest. I mean, I could probably guess what it is. Is it like a like a doll's house pet shop? I assume the so, Littlest yeah. Pet Shop. It looks like yeah, they were kind of like maybe collectible, small, wide-eyed dogs. Oh, mm. okay. So if you wanted all five of the hottest toys of um, 1992, they could have been yours for just around £160. Wow, this life has changed. Today's money is like 350 I think, roughly. 350 So that was all happening. And also, if you were to go to the cinema in December 1992, you may have caught one of these films. I'm going to reel off some films, and you're going to be like, we- we've had a few dry years, I think. Was it Was it not last the last episode, but the episode before, Ben, where you said there was like, no good films? Uh, yep, yep. This is the complete opposite, right? Oh, really? The Bodyguard, which I've already mentioned. Yep, yep. Fern Gully, an absolute classic animation. Bram Stoker's Dracula, A Few Good Men, Unforgiven, my favourite film, Scent of a Woman, Ben's favourite film, 
Under Siege. Ben's dad's <laughs> favourite film, The Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> it's, very, it's very good. It's very true. Dee's favourite film, probably, The Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aladdin. Fly. Beethoven. Basic Instinct. <gasps> Death Beethoven. Becomes Her. Malcolm X. Batman Returns. Home Alone Wowzers. 2. Blah, 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 blah. List goes on. But also, maybe the greatest Christmas film of all time? <gasps> the Muppets Christmas Carol. So it's directed by Brian Henson, who is the son of Jim Henson, who, of course, was one of the originators of The Muppets, uh, in his directorial debut. And the screenplay was by Jerry Jewell, I want to say. I don't know how it's pronounced, but Jerry Jewell, uh, based on the Dickens novella, uh, The Muppets Christmas Carol. And it follows the story of one miserly Ebenezer Scrooge, played by Michael Caine in a career-defining performance. I think we'll all agree on that. (laughs) She was by only seven years old. <laughs> I will not bury another Kermit. <laughs> God. And he is visited by Muppets, as well as ghosts, and so on and so forth. So what do we think? Do we think it is the greatest Christmas film of all time? Uh, is it the greatest Christmas film of all time? I mean, it's an actual Christmas film, unlike yeah. these films that pretend they're Christmas films, like Love Actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Die Hard. Yeah, well, Die Hard's just... If anyone answers Die Hard to that question, it just pisses me off. Yeah, who are they trying to prove? What are they trying to prove, guys? I just think you're cool. I just think you like feel, don't you? It's like, yeah, Die Hard set at Christmas, forget it. Yeah. It is a very good film. I, I don't think the bar's that high for Christmas films. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Christmas films do you like, Ben? Um, Miracle on 34th Street. Um, okay. White Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Come on, man. Jimmy um, Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. I should have said that first. That's one of my favourite films. But again, It's a Wonderful Life. I I watch it at Christmas, but it's only like the last five minutes that's at Christmas. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty bleak, like Christmas. Well, yeah, which is probably why <laughs> I enjoy it the most of all those things that I've mentioned. But this is a proper Christmas film and a very, very enjoyable Christmas film, even though it also gets incredibly dark. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, yep. Which is why I don't think I actually found enjoyment from it truly until I was a bit older because I think it creeped me out as a child. Mm. Uh, I don't think I was always fully set on the Muppets anyway <laughs> but a walking Kermit will always freak me out. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like a weird uncanny valley equivalent to Muppets but it's like something just feels off about it and I, I don't know. I know you have legs Kermit, I've seen them but they shouldn't work. <laughs> it is incredibly creepy this film. The Ghost of yep. Christmas Past used to give me absolute, like, just What the horrifying. fuck is The Ghost of Christmas Past? I forgot about that until we watched it. Yeah, when we were children. I know we had this on VHS, but I distinctly remember being told by my mum that we were, were not allowed to watch it because we would have nightmares. Yeah, absolutely. It's hor- it is haunting. And I've seen people say that she resembles um, a poached egg in, in a pan, <laughs> which you can't unsee. <laughs> just you've seen it. <laughs> But um, pretty terrifying. And also the uh, the ghost of uh, Christmas is yet to come is pretty terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, just a, it's just a really hauntingly creepy film. But that's like meant to be scary. Whereas yeah. like the ghost of Christmas past, I don't know what it's meant to be, but it, it feels like it's going to go into me, <laughs> like into my soul. I think the description of it in the actual Charles Dickens novella is like really, really even weirder. It's like really? it's supposed to be like a really muscular child or something from memory. Like it's really <laughs> like a uh, little Hercules. Little Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just like oh, it, I know it's a really side note, but literally on a weekly, I get those when you scroll to the left in your phone and it just has random news articles. I always get something about little Hercules. Where is he now? And I've never clicked on it because I feel like it's going to open up loads of like, you know, it's going to connect me to little Hercules news forever, but it's still there. It sounds like... What is he doing? I really want to know. (laughs) What did you think of the film, (laughs) Dee? Obviously, I wasn't allowed to watch it as a child because it was too scary. It's probably second for me in terms of Christmas films. It's my wife's favourite Christmas film, so I I watch this every year because she decides that's what we're going to watch and she doesn't want to watch my favourite Christmas film. Jingle all the way, because <laughs> that's a Christmas film. That's a Christmas film. That's a great Christmas film. It was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Muppets Christmas Carol. Other than being full of great songs and full of Muppets fun, it is strange how you can take a film with a bunch of puppets and make a film that's so uh, like rich, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of the other Muppets films, actually, the the one we covered before did it quite well as well. But like quite often it's sort of a, oh, this is fun, it's just the Muppets sort of thing. But like both that one and this one, they really hit you. They, re- they really know what they're doing and they make sure you leave that film with like a, a gut punch of emotion at some point. 
but they make you happy again at the end. Yeah, it, it really yeah. blends the, the kind of light and dark of Christmas really nicely, I think, in this film, doesn't it? But I think as well, like, yeah. what, there's a really amazing quote from Michael Caine because, like, I think um, when you watch it, you're like, part of what makes it really work and that kind of emotional is how seriously he is taking this role. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never, I will <laughs> never wink. I will never do anything muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. I think that really comes... Yeah. Well, that's that comes that's how you do it. When you, when you have like the Muppets films where there's a retelling of a story like I don't know, like Treasure Island, the one person who is a human in your the main character list should be playing it completely mm. straight. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be in on the fun because they are not a Muppet. Yep. I didn't pay to see Michael Caine be fun. I didn't pay at all because I was a child, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Been about three pound twenty the ticket I think it was in ninety two. Yeah, but Brian Henson, if I don't know what he's direct, if he'd done any directorial work on the Muppets or anything before, but he shoots it fantastic as well. Like Michael Caine is imposing. It's always from low, it's always low angle. The whatever the Muppet shot they call it, you know, so that you obviously never see feet. He just does the angles really well. The Muppets look like they're always being like dominated over, so they're cowering in fear at this huge hulking creature that is Scrooge. And it's just done. You never, you never see Scrooge from like a, a level plane or above. It's always below, and it really adds that sort of formidable feeling to him. Oh yeah, definitely. I think we'll touch on that in the uh, the Scrooge song. But it's interesting what you said there about the way it's shot with the Muppets because they actually had to remove boards and floors so that the Muppets' performance could stand alongside him. So it meant that when he was when they were filming, essentially he was just walking on like single planks across the stage, which you obviously you don't even wow. pick up on at all, which I think is, is a great testament. But puts a new variant on the term walking the boards, which, come no, on. No. I mean, he wanted it to be like no. the Royal Shakespeare <laughs> Company, so. Yep. Do, you want some, do you want to go into some facts about the film? Go some facts. Go some facts. Yeah, throw some Christmas facts. Well, they're not all Christmassy. Although, oh, I mean, obviously, well, they are related. Christmas adjacent. Get rid of them, then. The film. <laughs> so, but although now many, I believe, would call this one of the best Christmas films of all time, which I think we can agree on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think we're all, all there with that. The film only performed modestly at the box office and with critics at the time. Well, I mean, in fairness, you did list off a lot of decent films that came yeah. out at the same time. <laughs> yes, which so is, which I can is... see why it didn't do too well at the box office. Yeah, it opened at number six. And the the main competition it had, which was two dimensional, was obviously Aladdin, which was another Disney film. Oh right, yeah, um, and Home Alone too. So the film only grossed twenty seven million from a twelve million budget, so it still made a profit, but it wasn't. I think Disney expected it to be a really big hit, and it was. It did okay, but it didn't do as well. But like I said, the competition was very was very stiff. The contemporary reviews are very middle of the road. Most complimented the kind of technical aspects of the film, whilst criticizing in particular, which we'll obviously come on to in more detail, the songs which were called by various critics forgettable, unenchanting, unmemorable, unamusing. But we won't we won't go into that yet, because we're going to cover them in extensive detail. <laughs> so it does how the film came about. Talent, so talent agent Bill Haber approached Brian Jensen, so I think his uh, father Jim had died a couple of years before, with the idea of making a Muppet adaptation saying, Christmas Carol is the greatest story of all time, you should do that. So they did do that. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> the idea was that it would be a straight-to-TV holiday film, but when Disney saw the script and kind of everything that was going into it, they decided to make it into a full motion picture. Originally, Scooter, who is the character with the glasses and the ginger hair, for those who are less acquainted with the Muppets, was going to play the Ghost of Christmas Past. Miss Piggy was going to play the Ghost of Christmas Present. And either Gonzo or Animal was going to play the Ghost of Christmas yet to come. <laughs> However, the idea was scrapped in favour of new Muppets, who would add a more ominous flavour, which I think is definitely definitely comes across in the film. Yeah. And I think it does make it a bit more, um, not just ominous, but also kind of disconnected in a good way, like because you don't know what to expect and what happens isn't what you expect. Because it would be the obvious choice to make them just like Muppets who you knew. Yeah, it's it's for the betterment of the film. Like, yeah. uh, have you guys watched the Muppets Haunted Mansion from, no. that came out no. last no, year? No, no, no. That could have done with having new Muppets play some of the larger roles. Because it just made everything feel like a TV movie. Mm. It didn't have that sort of grand feeling where it feels like a lot of effort's being put in. It feels like they just turned up and went, yeah, this'll work. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think, well, I guess, I think Muppets sits in the nostalgia category now, whereas maybe this is still at a point where, you know, you're, just, you're trying to push the Muppets into new yeah. territory, new areas, whereas now you're just hoping that it's you're, you're existing on an already bankable... True, and yeah. as Alex said, it, it was... Was this? I assume this must be the first film post Jim Henson's death. Yes. Yeah. So there must have been an element also of 
what are the Muppets now? Yeah. What, what what are they going forward? So yeah, there was very much a question. Might as well take risks. Yeah, there was de- that was definitely very much at the top of their minds because they'd just been. I think they 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 always felt that Jim Henson wanted it to continue on beyond him, which is why he sold the rights to Disney. Yeah, but they were all a bit like they they weren't sure what to do with it, like what direction to take. Do you, how you know? Because like I think previously the films had all been. Um, kind of like backstage antics, you know, off the show that they normally do, like what do the Muppets get up to? Whereas this is the first Muppets film where it's an actual different story where they're just like Muppet characters within an existing narrative. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the framing of the film was changed so that there was a Charles Dickens character, which obviously ends up being Gonzo, who was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Pass. So they kind of moved it around. And the reason they did that is because they felt that he was the least likely Muppet to play Charles Dickens. I don't really know what they, <laughs> exactly what they mean by that. But but he was, in their, their minds, the least likely Muppet to play Charles Dickens, and that's why I played it. And then they made Rizzo the Rat his accompaniment <laughs> in this film to inject some humour and serve as a Greek chorus is what they describe it as, so it's essentially like someone mm-hmm. who acts as the audience. It's interesting that because uh, I, this is the, the the Muppets film I'm the most acquainted with, and I imagine a lot of people are as well. And like Rizzo the Rat is a very integral character in this film, so I just assumed he was one of the main Muppets. And then when you watch the new Muppet film, he's not a character in the film. I know he's in Muppets Treasure Island in a similar capacity, and I think he's in some of the other ones as well. But yeah, he doesn't seem to be a main character within the Muppets. And if you watch the Muppet show... He's not in it either, really. There's just loads of rats. There's not like a, a Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. It introduces him as Rizzo the Rat playing himself. Yes. <laughs> which is, I think it's quite funny. Which is always great. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the songs. All the songs were written by Paul Williams. I don't believe it's a relation to John Williams. No. Who had previously worked on the Muppet movie and was nominated along with Kenneth Asher for Rainbow Connection at the Oscars, uh, which they obviously did not win, which I think we've covered before. But he did win an Academy Award for the song Evergreen, not that one day, oh, from okay. the Barbara <laughs> Streisand version. <laughs> it actually, I genuinely got excited. <laughs> of A Star Is Born, which again, I think we've covered loosely when we did the Star Is Born episode. Um, so he actually won an Oscar for that. Um, but fortunately, with his success came, in his words, vodka and cocaine. And he's gone on record <laughs> saying he remembers very little of the 1980s. Well, this is a quote from him. It was a dark, dark period of my life, he says. I went from Johnny Carson's couch to peeking out the windows through the Venetian blinds looking for tree police. Don't know what that means, but that's what he said. Tree police? <laughs> tree police. Like marijuana, maybe? I assume he was hallucinating. Oh, that works too. <laughs> he could have yeah. been hallucinating. And it had gone quite bleak. Uh, at the age of 49, Williams finally broke and entered himself into rehab, and on March 15, 1990, he emerged from recovery, an entirely new man. He didn't know whether he would be offered work again, but he saw the redemption story of Scrooge as akin to his own ambition to be better, and it comes through in the songs when we discuss them, kind of. The reason I wanted to, to talk about this beforehand was because I think it's quite important yeah, it's when understanding the messages behind the songs. Absolutely. Because it's quite, it's quite a touching story of a man who kind of refound himself through song and film, which is what this podcast is all about. But one yeah. reviewer said the songs, as I've already said, you know, there was, there was a lot of negative responses to the songs at the time. So one reviewer said the songs offer both clumsy word construction and dire music that eats away at the aesthetic quality of the movie. Mm. So let's see if uh, we agree. We'll start with Scrooge. So the various characters around London sing of their grisly encounters with the nasty Mr. Scrooge, and we are told uh, as the audience that even the vegetables don't like him. <laughs> what do we think of this song as an opening number to the film? If I'm being completely honest with this song, I really struggle to remember what this song was. Mm. Um, I could remember the scene once I'd gone to, gone to my wife. What parts this from? And she was like, "It's when he's walking down the street and everyone's really, really scared of him." And I was like, "Well, I remember that bit, but I don't remember there being like an actual song playing out at this point." So I suppose I kind of think it's a very weak opener to this film. So maybe those critics were right. <laughs> <laughs> Decision made. Maybe it was the case that the critics only watched like the first fifteen minutes and went, "I've got a feel for this film now." Well, that's that's modern day critics, isn't it? I suppose in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I, I vaguely recalled it, but like I think this one in my memories gets lost in the shuffle with the ones that we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. I think this is a necessary song for those unfamiliar with Scrooge and um, A Christmas Carol. I think it sounds like it always reminds me of At the End of the Day from Les Mis. Yeah, it does sound Les Mis. Yeah, because it, it, it actually actually looks a lot like it because it's going through the streets. I don't think it's that enjoyable. I think the ch- I think it holds the tune well. I think the lyrics are fine. 
I think the ensemble of introducing like various Muppets in different scenarios is quite good. I feel it fits the tone quite well. It doesn't feel disjointed. And I think it goes quite nicely into what I think is the better parts of the film. And also, maybe a slight spoiler, when the, there's not songs. <laughs> because I like that aesthetic. I think I, I don't think they necessarily break it away. I and mean, I think this song leads quite nicely into it. But I think there's, the scene after this is... Like a, is it sets the film up for what it's going to be because it's incredibly dark. If you see the Muppets a lot and you're kind of just expecting whimsy all the way through, I think it shuts that out quite quickly. And I don't think it goes from like jokey, jokey song into shutting it out. I think it eases quite yeah. nicely into that. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a nice blend. It, it has a bit of humour in the lyrics and, and like, you know, like I said, the part of like where the vegetables are like him, etc. There's, there's like a few jokes in there, but it's it's not shying away from the kind of fact that this is set in like Victorian London where conditions were not great for most people. And I think like one thing that really comes through in, in the view of this, in the staging of this song is how cold it all looks, which is quite cra- crazy because I think it's all shot in studio but it really makes it feel like it's outdoors and freezing cold mm-hmm. and I, I think that's all put together well i think like like you guys have said i don't think it's the strongest song of the film by any stretch but i think it does an okay job of in introducing the key principles of the film and also this tonal shift that you're ex- going to expect throughout of going from light to dark so paul williams wrote and recorded song in a park on a tape recorder whilst reading what he called a bloody mystery now I don't think he meant it in the uh, in the more northern English uh, term of bloody. I think he meant literally there was a uh, gore and bits and whatnot in the book. But he said he needed to write something and just went out into nature and let the big amigo take over. So the big amigo is his representation of a deity. He doesn't necessarily believe in God, but he believes that there's something bigger out there. And he first to him <laughs> the is the big amigo, which which I enjoyed. But yeah, let's move on to the next song. So the second song of the film is. One More Sleep Till Christmas. And it's performed by Kermit, who is playing Bob Cratchit um, on the night before Christmas as he's walking around the town, just generally having a joyful time. What are our um, opinions on this one? I find this one weird. So before I rewatched the film this week, I thought it's the Kermit song. This is the big song. I couldn't really remember it, but I was like, oh, I see him. This is the big song. And I watched it and I thought, I don't think this is a very big song. Um, I just feel like it's, it gets interrupted too much. Mm. It's one of those things I feel like if you if they felt like this was going to be their main set piece and it's sung by Kermit, you know, the lead. Oh, well, I know he's not the lead of the film, but he's the lead of the Muppets. You kind of keep him on screen the whole time, you know, and you kind of revolve around him. He kind of came in and out. It reduces the weight of the emotion when it has those breaks. When it, the music just stops and it's just kind of, I don't know, the rats running about or no, whatever. The, uh, the penguins ice skating competition. Oh, yeah, the penguins ice skating. Um, when I listen to it back on the album version without the interruptions, I do quite like it, but I just don't like it in the film. I just don't think the visuals add anything to it. And again, I saw Kermit stood up, so it instantly reduces my view of this song. <laughs> D. This song is like, if you figured out how to capture a, like a hug from a parent who has just told you that they're really proud of you. And it's like a cold winter's night next to a roaring fire. So like, if you distilled that down, <laughs> that, that feeling into a Christmas song, I feel like this is the Christmas song you would end up with. It's sort of similar, again, to the Muppets film we did earlier in the, this year, mm. where because Kermit's voice is so earnest and sweet, I find it really hard to not feel the emotion of what, what he's singing. But I completely get what Ben's saying. Like, there's a lot of breaks in the movie version of the song. Even the version on, well, one of the versions on Spotify has him just randomly talking to people yeah, and it yeah. sort of just pulls you just a little bit out. But like, the opening verse and cor- well, build up to the line, it's not really a chorus in this, it's just more of a single line. It's just so warm and inviting and I love it. And um, we've talked about it in the podcast before, me and Alex used to commute to work together. <laughs> Yes. And uh, part of that was starting from December up until we both broke up for work for Christmas, we would listen to Christmas songs and every day I would add a Christmas song. This was one of the few songs from this film which made it onto our playlist, which was, if I just bring it up, entitled Alex and Dietrich's Christmas slash Backstreet Boys Playlist. Yep. <laughs> um, which And I, I listened to it on this version and for some reason I picked the version from the movie rather than the uh, the album version. So, sorry, Alex, I ruined our commutes to work. That's fine. By picking that version. Yeah. But the fact that you picked a version at all says, you know, that you're a true connoisseur of Christmas songs. True. When I watch this film, I'm always a bit like, this is the song that 
don't forget it's there, but when I'm watching that, like, oh, this song goes on longer than I thought, or it's it's supposed to, like I think you said, Ben, like, it feels like they're trying to make it, they wanted to make it one of the big songs of the film, but it doesn't quite feel like it when you watch it. I think it does a good job of, if Scrooge is the dark song, this is the light song to go with it, that they kind yes. of complement, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they show the two different views of Christmas, but also of kind of life, like the opposite, it's the opposite to the solitary, miserable Scrooge life, and it celebrates togetherness and hopefulness and family and friends and things like that, which obviously is is the point that Scrooge needs to get to to receive his full redemption. So it's it's nice that it sets both up next to each other. But I don't remember either of these two songs as the songs from this film. They're not the two that come straight to mind. But they are two of the lengthier songs in terms of their runtime. So obviously they've they've been given weight, but I think that's probably more to do with the the storytelling aspects of them in that it sets up the film to then from this point move into song three and the real start of the the redemption arc, I suppose. So let's move into song three, which is Marley and Marley, um, which is performed by... (laughs) I say it keeps being performed by as if these are real people, but it's performed by Statler and Waldorf, (laughs) who are the old kind of geezery men muppets that sit up on the balcony normally. And they are playing the character of Marley, who... There's been split into two characters here, but who is uh, Scrooge's um, old work accomplice who has since died and has returned to haunt him as a ghost. Uh, so, yeah, who's taking first go on this? What do we think? The song works in the context of the film, but it's not making any Christmas playlist and certainly not <laughs> mine and Alex's Christmas playlist. Like when, when they do the sort of the woos and it breaks off the song, that doesn't work when you listen to it as no, just a song. It really doesn't. In the, in the film, in the visual context of the film, it works great. And like the, the picking of Statler and Waldorf as uh, the Marleys, I suppose, even though we've sort of talked about them creating new characters for the ghosts, I think this one's an inspired choice. I do have a problem with the song, though. Whenever I try singing it in my head, I go into the Robocop theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very similar, but not similar enough that I should do it every time. But... It's one of those things where over years and years and years of trying to sing the Mali and Mali bit, it just goes which is the Robocop theme tune. So it's just, it's to me, the, the two things are intrinsically linked. And when you said Robocop theme tune, I was not, I, I had no idea what you were on about, but as soon as you did that, I was like, yeah, we've got it. Got it. Great film. Uh, Great Christmas uh, yeah, film. Yeah, it's a fantastic Christmas film. Go on, Ben. Um, see, I, I actually really like this song. Until he does the, <laughs> it's just so lazy. Like, yeah. I think the lyrics are actually really, you know, if you just read them, they're quite dark and bleak, poignant. <laughs> yeah, they're very bleak. And again, for you know, a Muppets film, they're bleak, and I like that contrast of dark and light. But the where Marley and Marley, ooh, is just very lazy. Like surely you could have a better like chorus or just a you know more like motif than that. It's just a repetitive moment. I just think it loses a bit of the weight of the. The you know a specialist in causing you pain, spreading fear and doubt. If you could not pay the rent, we simply threw you out. You know, just I quite liked it until that. Yeah, it's interesting you guys talking about it like that. I mean, the the, the line that gets me is that there's a part where they describe um, orphans clutching their frostbitten teddy bears, yes, which is yes, quite yeah, 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 dark. <laughs> quite the the image. I think uh, when I was reading an interview with Paul Williams, the the songwriter, he kind of he didn't speak much about this song. He, he said that. These were the songs that he kind of did last because they were there to piece the film together. Whereas, like, you know, some of the other ones we'll talk about and have more of an emotional... He has more of an emotional connection to. I think that comes across as well because I do think this is more of a plot-telling song. Uh, Again, like the first two in that it's there because there needs to be a song for the ghost of Marley because it's a big moment in the story. Yeah, 100%. It does feel like a song where they've gone, we have to write one for this. Yeah. For this moment. And and I think it, it does job, and I, I, I quite like it. I think now you guys are talking about the ooh bit, it does feel a bit, like, weird and contrived into place because it's like they're ghosts. But I like <laughs> the part where they say Marley and Marley, <laughs> and then it drops down um, and says, and they say it again. I quite like it. I, just kind of, I think it's kind of catchy. It needs more chains. Because it's like, you've already had two songs. I think this is the first catchy Song yeah, yeah, that it's you definitely catchy. Being yeah. In yeah, the film. It's definitely, yeah, yes, yeah, so it's like when when you hit this song, you're like the film's the film's got going. The, the film has begun, songs wise. Because yeah. I mean, the film up to that point is still good, and like you said, Ben, there's some like, really good scenes, especially with Scrooge and his uh, and his workers. But uh, yeah, this is like where it for me it kind of starts to hit stride a bit more. 
But yeah, let's move on because this is the song that we all really want to talk about. So it's called <laughs> When Love Is Gone. And this is the song with the most notes on it. I think I've probably ever, almost ever done. Wow. Because <laughs> there's a lot of notes that, about That makes song. sense. That does, that does track. There is a lot of notes about the song. And for some of you, that might be strange because if you saw this film in the cinema or in Disney Plus or in various DVD versions, there's a very good chance that you have never heard the song. No, I had never heard. Yeah, because it does not feature in any of those. So it, it comes in the scene. Um, it's performed by the character of Belle, who is a young Scrooge's love interest. And it comes in a scene where he, uh, Scrooge and the Ghost Christmas Past go back to his kind of... They go back to his childhood and then it kind of goes on a bit more. There's like a pie at Fozzie Bears and, and whatnot. And then the song is sung by Meredith Braun, who plays the character of Belle. And she laments Scrooge for caring more about his financial advancement than he does about her. Um, you might have always wondered when you watched the film version that is on Disney Plus, is, is on TV most of the time, why this scene does feel like something is missing. And it is because there was a song completely cut out. But before we kind of go into all of the reasons why, Ben and Dee, obviously you will have listened to this song for this podcast. So what are your opinions on it before we kind of go into the details? First off, I had to get over the thing of where, what the hell is this scene? Um, because I'd never seen it. <laughs> I don't think it starts that strong. I couldn't tell if uh, Belle's voice... Belle, isn't it? Sorry. Yes, I yes, couldn't Meredith Brawl. Yes, I couldn't tell if Belle's voice was strong. As it went on, I started to get more into it. I started to listen to the lyrics more, and especially when Michael Caine joins in, because he can't sing. <laughs> the man can't sing, but he's not trying to. Like, you know, he pauses on a line just longer, and he adds that, like, almost quiver. You can see he's acting through it rather than singing or acting singing as Lin-Manuel Miranda might do. <laughs> um, too much, I'll painstakingly say. Um, but that's where it sells me for it. And I think it just adds a level of gravity to the lyrics. Although, in, in essence, a lot of the lyrics are, I'm leaving you, yeah, I'm gone. I'm gone. By the way, I'm gone. Just walking away from this bloke who, and I know it's one of those classic things of like a musical in which the character singing just steps out into the front and everyone just lets them sing. But I find it hilarious that she's just walking around and he's just stood there like, <laughs> just looking at her as, as she tells him, yeah, we're not in love. You don't love me. I'm gone. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, at least it makes more sense than what actually happens in most versions of the film, which is they have that conversation and then you just see her walking past. Yeah. yeah fair, <laughs> and like, it's, no one understands what's happened. Uh, D? Yeah, so the song is a fantastic performance from Belle and to an extent Michael Caine. And it feels like a like a well-executed set piece. It, it almost feels like you're watching a performance in a theatre. Mm-hmm. It's just be- beautifully put together. Um, which, which I'm glad they got the fuck out of this movie because it's just way too heavy for a Muppets movie. And especially, it, I know we've said it, it's, good, it's good that it's not flippant or too light-hearted, but this is too far the other way. It reminds me of the song, or a placement of the scene, reminds me of Toy Story 2. Mm. I think I described it in that one as like a handbrake. So I think, although it feels a bit jarring once it's cut out, I feel like cutting it out is to the betterment of the movie. It just It's just good sense to jettison it. So I don't think they should add, add this one back in. They are planning to, right? Yes, which we'll come on to. Yeah. So someone who agrees with you wholeheartedly, Dave, was Jeffrey Katzenberg. Because he mm. felt the song added a significant downbeat. I don't know if that's the one you want to be associated. Yeah. You are now. You are now on 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 recording. Um, who felt that the song added a significant downbeat to the first third of the film, and that children would not understand? Yeah, I definitely get that. I, I understand. I, I think like you make a really good point, Dee, and I think it's um it's true that it feels an odd moment to have a song that has so much like depth to it. I think what's really jarring, which again we'll come on to and we cover the song later on, is that. The final song of the film on the fade out is a direct counterpoint to this song. So once you cut this out, that song has much less power to it at the end of the film. And the transition between the two is completely lost. But like I say, we'll cover that in that that song. But So this song did feature in all versions of the film in the closing credits. And it has a it has a, a very interesting journey of its inclusion in and out of the film. So the song was not in the original cinematic release, but it was featured in all the 1993... I'm going to run through all of it here, so strap yourselves in. The song featured in all the 1993 VHS and Laserdisc copies of the film, as well as the original UK VHS release, which is why when I saw this film later in life, I was like, I 
but I'm sure there was a song here at one point. In a 2002 and 2005 DVD release, the song is retained in the 90-minute full-screen version, but not the 86-minute widescreen version on the same disc. The 2012 DVD version used the same cut, so it is included, but the Blu-ray release of the same For year sake. <laughs> does not include it. Make your minds up, people. In 2018, Brian Henson said he did not believe it would appear in any future releases as the original master and film negative had been lost by Disney. On purpose. However, yeah, yeah. in 2020, he confirmed to BBC Radio 2 that it had been located in the archive. It was in his pocket the whole time. It was in his pocket the whole time. It's like, again, it's like Toy Story 2, where they uh, they accidentally lost the film and then someone had it oh, yeah. the, uh, on the, on like a USB stick or yeah, something. Yeah, very fortunate. And so finally, as of December the 11th, 2022, which has obviously already happened when you're listening to this recording, the song has been restored to Disney Plus So in the full version, so the song is now going to be there. So it's an interesting journey for this song. It wasn't the only song pulled from the final cut. There were two others that were filmed, but also removed, which is Room in Your Heart and Chairman of the Board. So I think Room in Your Heart is actually a song that comes in with the, I think it's Beaker and uh, Dr. Bunsen, uh, oh, Honeydew. No. Honeydew. Um, there was a song with them. Oh. And then there was a song which I think comes... Oh, I can't remember exactly when the, the second one comes, the chairman of the board one comes. But but both um, were cut from the film. But the weird thing about all three of the songs that were cut is that they still appear in some capacity surrounding the film, whether that's instrumentally in the credits and, and um, there are alternate versions out there and, and some of the songs even featured in some of the trailers that came out. Um, so they they really are three ghost songs that kind of haunt the film, in a weird way, <laughs> ironically haunt the film. But I think this is the one that's felt, the absence is felt most in the film. Whether or not they should have had this moment in it, I think the fact that so much of what happens in the film is based around what is set up in the song. Yeah. So it yeah. feels absent because of it. But yeah, it's just, a, it's just an interesting tale. And I think a lot of people, it's one of those things where people view the film now and like, have this memory of a song that was there that that is no longer and this, there's all these internet conspiracies and etc. It makes but... it a better Christmas Carol film but not a better Muppets film. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's probably the best way of summing up. Yeah. yeah it's a better, it makes it a better adaptation. I feel like they should have committed to making a song that was st- still had the emotional plot points and um, still had the same emotional punch but maybe wasn't quite as heavy or quite as, quite as long. If they were worried it was going to lose children's attention, I think you could you could have got that across in a song just as long as uh, One More Sleep Till Christmas. They should have had the woman played by Muppet. <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> that would have been a good twist. That's yeah, why he's really. so angry with all the Muppets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're adding a level of xenophobia to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He hates the he hates all Muppets for a reason. So next song is It Feels Like Christmas. Um, and the ghost of Christmas present walks Scrooge around the town, showing him the joy of Christmas Day. What do you think of this one? So if one more sleep till Christmas, I, I described it as like a parental hug. I think this one is like the same attempt at putting a, like distilling a feeling of Christmas. But this time it's more like the community feeling of like when you're walking down the street on Christmas Day or like you, you're, you're having to travel somewhere and... For some weird reason, there's a weird feeling when you see somebody you don't know on Christmas Day out and about, where you sort of think, hmm, just this one time, I won't immediately think you're a dickhead. <laughs> and and, and I'll, you'll, you'll say hi, and they will say hi back, because it's Christmas. Nope. And I think this this song really, really captures that, that, weird feel, that weird community feeling that you get at Christmas. If anything, I think my, my quite meek and mild father gets more offensive on Christmas Day. Is that in the evening once he started having a few? A few no, uh, it's a complete stranger. I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a woman on the field. I remember having a go at him because our dog was eating bread that she threw on the field. It was not in your garden, you old lady. It's not in your garden. And my dad had swear words to say about this lady. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We've got an explicit tag. You can say it if you want. I can't remember what the words were. Um, I only remember it was. It sticks in my mind because I was like, bloody hell, Dad. <laughs> it's Christmas Day, Dad. <laughs> um, what song are we on? It Feels Like Christmas. It Feels Like Christmas. Oh, yeah. This was the one which involves the guy that looks like the PS1 Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> he does, doesn't he? It proper looks like the PS1 Hagrid from... Um, 
the second Harry Potter game. The Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, it, it's like if the PS1 Hagrid was being voiced by Brian Blessed. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I can't. I just again, I can't tell if I like the guy's voice. Um, I I love I love his character, and I love what I love what happens to the Muppet as it goes on. You know, as he as he kind of starts to wither over time. Again, I like. I think it, the song's helped by the visuals, the celebratory element of it, the full flow Christmas tradition. It's nice to see. I guess probably the impact it has on Scrooge in the scene starting to melt. I don't think the song. I you know I listened to it about an hour ago. I watched the film like two days ago. Can't remember the song. Wow. Uh, you know, I really? it was nice. I'm surprised. I can't remember the song. Can't remember it. Oh wow. No. Yeah, because for me, I've maybe I've got other me- other issues with memory. Well, I've literally put the note: this is probably the most memorable, well-known song from the film. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it might be, it might be, but not for me. It's also one of the uh, it's, it's the only other song from this film which made Alex and Dietrich's Christmas slash Backstreet Boys that's... playlist. Well, that's why you uh, you've got bias then. You've got bias. Mm, maybe after maybe. watching the film, do you know what I went away singing? Bali and Mali. Exactly, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a sucker for repetition. Yeah, well. I mean, this is, it feels like Christmas an awful lot in the film, but it's okay. This is my favourite song from the film. It's the one that I remember that I'm always waiting for to come on. It might not necessarily just be the song because there is an absolutely golden moment in this film where you get a jig from Michael Caine. And it's just like (laughs) one of those, like scenes that just like makes cinema great it's just like why is michael Caine? first of all why is he in this film and then like once you've you've come to accept that you don't foresee him like because like he said he didn't want to do anything muppety which i suppose you know a, a man joyfully dancing is not but it's, it's it's like it's it's not even it's not as enthusiastic a dance as we'll see in a later song it's just like it's just a step on the way there but it's just it's just everything when you see it and it just i don't know it gives me a Gives me the feels. This scene with uh, Michael Caine walking down the street with the jig. When when I imagine you as a father on Christmas Day, I imagine you with like the nightcap yeah. doing this sort <laughs> nice, of thing nice. to you, to your kids. Purple robe. Nice. Yeah. Well, I assume you have a nightcap for Christmas. I wish. I wish. Maybe I need to need to acquire one. Ooh, and... Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> anyone, anyone's listening? If anyone's listening? <laughs> you've got you've got a week and a half. Yeah, stick him with that. Well, I mean, the episode will come out then, so that is that's when they'll true, hear actually. it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Someone wants to. Uh, maybe you can be added to the Patreon. D. But yeah, I don't have any further notes on this song from a, a Paul Williams perspective, but I do think this is kind of the first song where you see that kind of real emotional heart of feeling coming through that time of year where, like, it's like kind of like what you said, D, like encapsulates kind of like this community spirit, this idea that everyone needs yeah. to, you know, should be better to each other. And I think that that really starts to come across in the song. It's the song where the Grinch's heart grows three times bigger. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, let's move on. I've kind of grouped these two together, but we can talk about them separately. because I'm glad you said that, because I don't have many notes for these. Oh, yeah. yeah please, thank God. And they, they kind of blend into each other. They kind of come in the same scene. So there's the Christmas scat, and then there is Bless Us All, and they both kind of take place on the same kind of as an extension of It Feels Like Christmas where Ghost of Christmas Present and Scrooge visit Bob Cratchit's house on a it's supposed to be Christmas Day I suppose um, as they're settling down for their family dinner. The Christmas scat takes place as Bob Cratchit and his son Tiny Tim who is played by Robin the Frog make their way halfway down the stairs to, um, to their house. So what do you think of this song? I love Tiny Tim. I absolutely love Tiny no, we're Tim. We're, we're not going to get on them. We're not. You're not going to get on. We're not going to. His little kin. His mm. little kin. Can't can't stand him. Ableist. Um, <laughs> first of all, the scat song. Go away. Get rid of it. Oh yeah. Don't need scatting Muppets. <laughs> it's not a crossover I need. Um, I I hate Miss Piggy with a passion, and I don't think don't mind her in the scene. So that that says a lot. I I quite like this song. Uh, I think it's quite nice. Uh, I'd rather there be more Kermit. Um, <laughs> But less of Kermit's legs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Please. I like to. Uh, less. More, I need more two thirds of Kermit. Uh, this film could have more Kermit. Um, I know. I think just more. Yeah, Kermit. he is maybe underused in this film. That's a good point. Yeah, which is quite odd, really, and it's a bit to think. It's because Michael K just steals the show, though. Doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> I like this song. Which one? The scat one. Bless us all. No, I thought yeah, the scat song. <laughs> Bless us all. That song. Just. I mean, idea. I don't know if you've got anything to add on the scat song. I'm assuming you also weren't a huge. Um, fan. I'm not not a fan. 
whoever's doing, I can't remember who's doing the background bump, bump bits, but um, that's the bit I would like to do on karaoke. That's Kermit. It's essentially like a scat lyrical version of the of One More Night Till Christmas. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's just the same lyrics. There's nothing. There's nothing new going on there other than the, the weird scattiness. Um, it, it's ca- it's kind of catchy, and as well as it lasts like thirty seconds to one minute, it's not particularly long. So I don't mind it being in the film. So bless us all, Ben. You've already set your stall out and said this is good. You need to convince me because I d- I don't agree. But go on. Um. No, I don't need to convince you. I, I don't care what you think. Okay. Podcast over. <laughs> well, I'm with you, Alex. This song is fine at best. Mm-hmm. When I was listening to it, the feeling I was getting was like this was a first a first draft or like a first attempt at One More Sleep Till Christmas. They, they weren't 100% happy with it. They liked it enough to keep it, but they didn't like it enough to, to front load the movie with it. So this is absolutely nowhere near the playlist. Why are... There no hybrid frog pigs. There is. Is there? Is there? Is that why little Tim is actually dying inside? Because he's got like pig organs. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that the goat from South Park? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we have seen their children. Like green pigs or like pink frogs. I do prefer the idea that they're just like sort of like some sort of fly crossover. I've seen you pictures of their children from something. <laughs> oh, right. Oh god, yeah! <laughs> it looks like an axolotl. My god, the pink frog is it horrifying. Looks like a clam. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking something else, but earthworm Jim. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so, Dee's not a fan. Ben, you're a fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put pitch my tent behind it. To paraphrase Pete Burns uh, from <laughs> his star turn on Big Brother, this song is saccharine to the point of nausea. Why are you going round in life with that quote? <laughs> just makes me cringe so hard. This song, I just it makes it really makes me cringe. Of all the celebrity Big Brother references you went for, you didn't go, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm Jackie. <laughs> or would you like me to be the cat? <laughs> Who is she? I get, I get the song's purpose in terms of the story, but I just, I just can't with it. I think, yeah, but I think you can get rid of a lot of these songs. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, maybe, but I, I, th- I just think this one is. This film could be thirty minutes at best. <laughs> that's just that's a, people will not enjoy you saying that Ben there, this has a loyal <laughs> no, fan base no, this no. film yeah well you know where I live I just I just think the final song just does everything this song wants to do better uh, I get I, that's fair that's fair and I just think it goes I think Frank Oz who is um, obviously one of the uh, the people who is very tied to uh, the Muppets said that the reason why Paul Williams and Jim Henson got on so well is because they, they knew how to push kind of a sentimentality, but without it becoming saccharine. But I actually think that this tips over too too far. I don't know if it's just the earnestness of Tiny Tim that bothers me so much. Because the film just like is so good at blending this dark and light, I think, throughout the songs, throughout everything, the action. And I just think that this... Whereas you, you said, D, maybe the song um, in the uh, the middle, When Love Is Gone, pushes too far that way. I think this pushes too far the other way. Yeah, I can see that. Just not a huge fan of it. But let's move on, because we've still got two songs to cover, because there are so many songs in this film. <laughs> so the next song is Thankful Heart, which is uh, performed by a reformed Scrooge as he prances around London spreading Christmas cheer. Prances being a very specifically chosen word, because I can't think of a better way of describing what happens on screen. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely like this one, and it really does sort of, even though it's another song to go, it does very nicely put a bow on the yeah. film. It's a fitting conclusion to the movie, and I, I really enjoy the, the sort of jumpy beat to it. You can, it really feels joyous, and it really sells the idea that Scrooge has, has changed. But um, Michael Caine really can't sing, can he? I know it kind of adds to it, because why, why would he be a professional singer? But it, sometimes yeah, I listen but- to it back and think, Maybe he could have just been dubbed over. You put Alfie Bow in this, and it's a 10 out of 10 film. I was really worried where you were going to finish that sentence thing. I agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, it would definitely be an improvement. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the songs would be... The the, the, the perform- vocal performances would be better. <laughs> but the acting performance, I don't know. Michael Caine gives a you lot. Could get, so. If you got Alfie Bow to play Bell... <laughs> No, Michael Ball would play Bell. Yeah, of course. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> We're just having the lamest cast. Just all of them in. Cole Wilkinson. 
One of the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> the Jonas, Jonas Brothers. Matt Lucas. I think this is a necessary song. I like the visual element in which they stop, like the uh, this askew camera angles. It's, it's a lot more as yeah. level as you could be with him being, you know, like six foot, and the rest of them being Muppets. Yeah, I think it's an enjoyable. It bookmarks it quite well. I don't think it's a very memorable song again. Like it doesn't stand on its own well. I just don't think it does. Like I think it's it works mm, in the song. Uh, it works in the film. Sorry. And that's about it. Yeah, like I say, it works. As a, it feels like a fitting resolution to the movie. But I, I get what you're saying about maybe not standing on its own. No. When you're listening to it back, you sort of need the visuals no. for this one. If you're li- if you're listening to the album of this, you you re- you're already getting ready to restart. I just you're getting I, ready to skip on to the next one. I don't agree. I think you're building up to the song. I think it's no, no. I mean the the, the next song maybe. Hmm. No, because as yeah, well, no, we'll talk about the next one. For me, I think this song hits that sentimentality nail so much more wonderfully than Bless Us All. And I, I think this should have been the last song, especially okay. considering that they pulled out When Love Is Gone, because the last song doesn't make sense to me without it. Uh, Paul Williams said that the gratitude that flowed through this song was one of the most emotive feelings he's ever experienced. So... I think this song was one of the songs that meant the most to him personally because it, he felt that he owed so much to the people who had given him this opportunity to write the soundtrack after everything he'd been through. And obviously Scrooge is the same in that this song is about being thankful to people who are, are willing to take him back, mm. even after yeah. all the terrible things he's done. And I think that that's kind of the emotional core of this film, isn't it? It's about... Of the story. And Christmas yeah. in general. Being thankful. I mean, some people would say that's Thanksgiving, but we don't have that in this country, so yeah. it's Christmas. We, yeah, we didn't we didn't commit those atrocities, America. We did others, but we didn't we don't have an event <laughs> we about did, them. <laughs> we did all the other ones. We don't have a holiday about them. But yeah, Michael Caine just goes very, very hard in the song. There is there is there is a vocal reach kind of on the bridge. I think he, he kind of goes up into the word journey and it's like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> hold, on, kind of, folks. hold on folks. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> but in it, in itself it's a magical moment that I'm always waiting for in the film. And there's so many in this in this in this scene. There's like a shot where he kind of bounces across the screen and like it's like a wall mid height which is cleverly placed. But it's just it's <laughs> Oh, I don't know, it just gives me holiday life. But there is an amazing <laughs> quote from Paul Williams upon meeting uh, Michael Caine. So he says, I walked up to Michael Caine and introduced myself. I said, wonderful to meet you. I'm so excited to be working with you. He said, are you out of your mind? We spent an entire weekend together in London. We were at the White Elephant gambling. <laughs> Paul Williams then says, I didn't remember. It was very embarrassing, but also very funny. We both laughed. It was the ghost of Christmas past showing me where I'd come from. So I think essentially uh, in that period that I already mentioned in the 1980s that Paul Williams does not remember, he must have previously spent a weekend gambling (laughs) with Michael King. What a shame that he forgot such an amazing amazing memory. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) incredible, incredible. So let's move on to uh, the final song, which is Love We've Found. So we've already mentioned that this is a callback to the song that no longer exists in the film, but will soon <laughs> exist again. And the cast sings out the film while sharing a Christmas dinner together. I think it's, is it a goose? I can't remember if whether it's a goose or a turkey. It's not a Muppet. No, it's not a Muppet. Well, it could have been a previously a Muppet. It could have been, yeah. Fortunately, we don't see the scene where that is uh, depicted. But yeah, so what do we think? I guess focusing in particular on the start, I prefer this version in a choir chorus seeing When Love Is Found than When Love Is Gone. I find this more enjoyable. I love I love the view of the scene looking over the very Tim Burton-esque, you know, crooked London. Uh, and I love the panning shot as it goes through different Muppets in different scenes and they're all outside and there's just some human characters at the back for some reason. And then it goes into the credits and it's fine. Um, I think, you know, I would feel nice if I was at the cinema walking out while this was playing. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's good enough. I think, I think you nailed it for me. It's fine. The song is fine. The visuals are nice. It looks spectacular in terms of, like, the uh, production quality. But the song is it, it's just fine. It It's not particularly noteworthy. It's not particularly bad. It's fine. Alex, do you think this is fine? I think it's fine. I think it's a lot more poignant when it's counteracted with the song in the middle of the film that it's referencing. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. It's actually a really nice moment when when you've seen it all in context because it's like you can see the movement of Scrooge through that redemption arc from where he was to where he now is, and 
that thread that connects the two is is that relationship with he had with Belle that he regrets, and you don't get that when you've not had that song in the middle. So although I agree to you that it could be viewed as maybe too dark, and I understand why the decision was made to kind of pull it, but I think it it doesn't make it, it, this song really, at the end of the film really suffers it because of it because it just feels really added on to the end because it comes straight after Thankful Heart. Like there's very little time between the two songs. And it, it feels like that should have been the last song and this one's just kind of tagged on to the end and then it's all wrapped up very quickly. It does feel yeah. weird, doesn't it? It feels like there's two last songs. Yep. But it's simply because, isn't it, that it was tying that song to, it was tying yeah. together to the song that no longer exists in the film. A double bookend. Uh, I think I think you're completely right. I, my opinion of this song being fine is based on the other song not being there because I, I believe in when love is gone erasure. So let's uh, get rid of this one too. Let's just uh, let's keep trimming the just fat from this film, slicing it down, make it into a nice, healthy one-hour special. Yeah, yeah, Disney classic. It should be shorter than the Christmassy Muppets thing. What, what was that one called? A very Muppety Christmas. Oh god, no idea. Stay away from that. The the, the nine eleven one. <laughs> Definitely stay away from that. But yeah, I just thought to bookend the discussion about the songs. Obviously, there was a lot of critic talk at the beginning, not being huge fans of it. And I think we've kind of gone through and thought, then they're all right. You know, there's there's no like real stat. I think one thing you'd say is maybe that there's not one standout song because I think you said Ben, oh, maybe one more Till Christmas could be intended to be the main song. I think the weird thing about it is that there isn't one song in it where you're like that's the one that that everyone will will pick, pinpoint. Yeah. I mean, I I think probably um. Oh, what's it? I've forgot the name of it. It feels like Christmas is the song that people probably associate most, but I think it maybe is that scene and that like larger than life depiction of the the ghost of Christmas present. Anyway, just to bookend, um, Frank Oz said of the songs, "It's the songs that give us real depth in the Muppets films. He has such an extraordinary heart, referring to Paul Williams, and how that heart comes out in his music has always affected the quality and the warmth of the production." And I do think there is something in that, in that without the songs, the film does lose some of the emotional heart and the message that it gets across because songs get that kind of emotional spirit across maybe better sometimes than dialogue can. So I think that that sums up my feelings towards the songs. (laughs) It just, yeah, I think it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a musical. Like, and I don't even really think of it as a musical that much, I think, because I just don't recall the songs that well i don't think they hinder the film at all i think they keep the the pace the tone um some of the messages uh inherent and pass through quite well but they don't add anything to it for me i think that's the difference they don't they don't add an extra dimension that i think of that comes with um musicals you know that moment in either a stage musical or gosh you know any of the other films that we've covered you're on, you're waiting for that bit or even that one song that they're going to prop up you know disney and disney are amazing and that they you know there always is that one song whether it's the one that does take off or it's the one that they are putting through you know especially when you think of like latest things like frozen and stuff like that you 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 would have expected them to just right you know we're gonna have this one song and we can market that we can sell it it's christmas you know we think of like charts and stuff like that there isn't a song like that in this hmm. I wonder if the Disney songwriting team were all busy on Aladdin. Probably. Yeah. Because, well, yes, then there was, there was a very, very clear front runner for one of the great Disney songs in that. Exactly. But as well as a, a whole catalogue of other great songs within the film. I mean, come on, Prince yes. Ali. Yes. Never found a friend like me. Come on, it's got some good songs in it. I'm not, we'll save it, save it for the same <laughs> Save for the Aladdin episode in about 20 years' time. So now it would be time to do best song. But I feel like throughout the process of doing this episode, we've kind of already done it. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it is. It feels like Christmas. Mm. It's on the playlist, so it was going to be one of those two. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely that one for me. I believe same for you, Alex. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I do really enjoy the scene of a thankful heart, but I don't think the song is as strong as it feels like Christmas. And I think with it being in the middle of the film as well, sometimes that's that's the song that gets you through to that second half. So it's the one you kind of cling to and know it's coming up at some point when you when you lost, not necessarily lost in the middle, but when you're making your way through the film. And you, Ben. Christmas scat. <laughs> you son of a bitch. No, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's probably when love is gone. Um, but like I say, I like the. F- it's probably the finale, actually. To be fair, just because I think when love is found is a better iteration of that song. But Marley and Marley sticks in my head the most. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Okay, so that brings an end to our Christmas special for 2022. Let us know on Twitter which song you think is the best from Muppets Christmas Carol. 
Uh, you can let us know on Twitter. Ben, what is our Twitter handle? At TSFTMPod. You can help the podcast in many ways, and one of those ways is by sharing it on Reddit. But Alex, what random subreddit should they share it on this week? Um, Robin the Frog. Mm. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so you can also help the podcast by becoming our Patreons, buying our merch, leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening into this, and just telling your friends that it's the best podcast in the world. All the links for that are in the show notes. So all stuff now is do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, Merry Christmas, and goodbye from Alex. I'm a large absent-minded spirit. <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. Little Hercules, his real name is Richard Sandrak, and he hasn't done anything since 2015. Apparently he likes to eat pizza now because he was never allowed when he was younger. <laughs> he wants to become an engineer for NASA, but he's also 30, so, you know. I don't know. Dreams could still come true. Just, should, well, should have kept doing his press-ups. Just needs to keep reaching for the stars. Uh, all I can say is he does not look like a Hercules now. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> You've never, you don't know who Little Hercules is. I was thinking of the guy from the Clumps. I thought you were talking about the animated film Hercules and the baby at the beginning of that film. There was a, there was a documentary in the early noughties about this kid who was like 10 and his parents pushed him into doing like 600 press-ups a day and he, he was in a film called Little Hercules and he was basically just a freak of nature um, and then they realised like he's parents were probably a bit abusive and his dad went to prison and then he stops working out oh god yeah he's super ripped it's creepy yeah have you seen him when he was like, <laughs> like when he was like 10 he had like a, he had like abs and that's him now yeah he's not particularly ripped anymore yeah, look at him when he's like eight <laughs> look at that boy's abs this has been a real treat for the the true fans that stay after we start doing the goodbyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't finish doing the goodbyes so <laughs> merry christmas and have a wonderful new year goodbye He used to eat a cabbage for dinner. (laughs) I've just dropped my phone. I don't know if you heard that. Good start. Good start. I did. I heard it like a thud. The thud, yeah. But a body had collapsed. (laughs) Is that the sound of someone dying? Sounds like a pig fainting.